Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and the only place you can hear the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan. How you guys doing? Uh, listen, for sale. Broken quiz machine. No questions asked. Thank you very much. Bye. Amazing. Duff has been on fire lately. He's on a roll. Thank you for getting our weekend started with a laugh as usual, although sometimes it's a groan. And you can keep the laughs going with the Winnipeggers. Dave Spivak, Ribo, and I release new episodes every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook channel, uh, my YouTube channel. This week, it's Camping Trips Gone Awry uh, with special guest George Clinton, the master of funk, Parliament Funkadelic. Wait to hear what happened, though, when my dad took me camping with the St. Louis Blues in the 70s. I'll just say it's a camping trip I'll never forget. Speedway has a couple I'll never forget either because uh, they've been forever documented in pictures. We've got some of the good ones, uh, good shots of Dave in a bikini, which is amazing. Uh, Ribo's got a few great stories, lots of laughs, lots of drinks, and uh, lots of fun. Winnipeggers every Thursday night at 9 p.m. on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. Also, make sure to check out Impact Wrestling's Rebellion pay-per-view on Sunday night because my guest is going to be defending the Impact World Heavyweight Champion against AEW's world champion, Kenny Omega. That's right, Swan is defending versus Omega. Uh, double title match, main event, there will be a winner. And looking to add the AEW title to his uh, own list of accomplishments is Rich Swan because the Forbidden Door is all but destroyed at this point in so many ways. We're going to hear what Rich went through uh, to prepare for this battle mentally and physically, what he thinks about the crossover angle with Impact and AEW, and how he thinks this match specifically will shake up the business. Rich also talks about his storied career, including his time in Japan, the UK, Ireland, his run in WWE at both NXT and 205 Live. He talks about his experience, uh, how he enjoyed working with the talent there, including Pac and Noam Dar. Forgot about Noam. You hear how both uh, Bret Hart and Rey Mysterio inspired him to pursue wrestling and how he was able to overcome some serious adversity in his life to make it to the business he grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, where his father was murdered when Rich was just 12 years old. His mother suffered from uh, mental issues, mental health issues, and she passed away at a young age. Rich was only 16, but somehow against the odds, Rich succeeded in pursuing his wrestling dreams. It's the inspirational story of Rich Swan on Talk is Jericho Now. All right, so um, huge weekend here, uh, Rebellion pay-per-view. Uh, for Impact Wrestling with one of the biggest matches probably of the year that no one really expected was going to happen a few months last year of, of, of Kenny Omega, the uh, AEW World Champion versus Rich Swan, the Impact Champion, which is huge on so many levels. But before we get into it, Rich, when we clicked on you, you were playing a guitar and you got a couple of guitars yes, behind sir, you. I'm a, I didn't know that I'm you were a guitar player. guitar player. I got my nice uh, yeah, a little double X right here, you know. You got a double neck. Uh, I was just jamming out a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just nice, over I here jamming it. out, just waiting. That's cool. How long have you been playing for? I started playing around like eight, around seven or eight. Just picked it up. Oh wow, that's cool. Your brother taught you how to play guitar. Well, so he uh, he brought it in, and um, he just really couldn't get it. And our father, he was very musically inclined, and he played music by ear. So uh, I picked up the guitar and just started listening and listening and listening to grunge rock and just certain types of metal and i just picked it up you know what i'm saying i just learned how to play by ear and i just never stopped it's just something that i do 
Yes, sir. What's your favorite uh, riffs to play? I like uh, maybe Justice and for All, like anything off of like Metallica stuff. Like I'm just trying to like oh, I'm cool. just learning how to like really like shred. Like I've never been, <laughs> I've never really been good at that. I've just been like a rhythm, you know, guitarist. But you know, I like it. That's killer, man. Yeah, well, Metallica's got some crazy rhythm playing, so that's good for your right hand too. <laughs> but like we said, huge match uh, this weekend, title versus title. I mean, I would say this is probably the biggest match of your career. Is that a fair fair assessment? 100%. Like, it's definitely the biggest match of my career. It's definitely something that I'm going to look back on, you know, years from now and say, man, I can't believe that, you know, my hard work really paid off to get to this position. You know, like, this match is, like, unprecedented. It's, it's something that, you know, never happens in the business. Two world champions from two different companies from two different television stations about to step into the ring toes to toes nose to nose gold to gold baby <laughs> you know but uh it's just it's so important and i'm just happy to have this honor bestowed upon me you know just to be in such a great match what have you thought as far as like over the last six months when we kind of started this impact uh, aew relationship did you ever think it was going to get to this point you know uh as soon as uh, we started working together, I didn't know what was going to come of it, but I'm just happy to see, you know, what it's blossomed into. Uh, it has the whole wrestling world talking, you know what I mean? Like everybody's talking about the forbidden door. You don't know, you don't know what you're going to see, you know, when you tune into an AEW or an Impact Wrestling, or even when you tune into New Japan now, it's just, you don't know who's going to pop up. And it's just bringing that feeling back to the wrestling community that, hey, we need to start paying attention. You know, we're all paying attention now. It's cool because I remember when, when Don and Scott um, Demore and Don Callis took over Impact, one of the things that they were really preaching was that, you know, if you had a gimmick and impact, you can take it to where you want to go. It's a new attitude here. We we don't want to make this like we're the only company in the world. There are other companies who want people to understand it's a global thing. And that, of course, was, was Tony Khan's idea as well, where he first started that kind of mindset, too. So, like you said, this doesn't happen every day in wrestling, especially a match of this magnitude with champion versus champion. Yes, indeed, it doesn't. And just like you said, it's biggest match of my career and you know Kenny Omega he's such he's held in such high regard and uh, we know you know how good he is in the ring and just to, just to have that opportunity to go out there and you know be spotlighted myself and just to go out there and kill it that's just the main goal I'm just so pumped and excited for Sunday man like <laughs> there's there's like I can't even you know, put into words, really. The, like, the thing is, too, though, like your career has been so expansive and you've been around the world. Uh, you've worked in so many different companies. Have you ever uh, been in, in the ring across from Kenny Omega before? I've never wrestled with Kenny before. Uh, we've crossed paths before anything. Uh, I was in uh, Japan uh, wrestling for a company called Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling, made by Ultimo Dragon. And at the time, they were doing a joint shows, a couple of joint shows uh, with DDT. And at the time, Kenny Omega was wrestling there at DDT. And 
man, the first time I got to see, you know, him and Kota Ibushi and, you know, the rest of the roster, like, live, it was just like, okay, man, these guys, they're bringing it. <laughs> they're bringing it to another level. That's where I want to get. That's how I want to be, you know, and I told him, you know, I was like, hey, man, me and you, one day we're going to get across the ring from each other. We're going to get at it. And lo and behold, about 15 years later, <laughs> we're about to get at it. <laughs> it came true. It came true. Spoke it in <laughs> But but uh, Impact has been been uh, quite a great home for you over the last you know two three four years whatever it's been. And I know that obviously Don really likes you. Scott really likes you. And uh, this is kind of a whole new attitude for this company that will never die. Like it, it never dies, and it just continues to improve. And to have kind of you as the champion. How has it been for you in Impact, and and how did you kind of get to this level of being, in a lot of ways, the face of the company at this point? You know, uh, ever since I first stepped foot into Impact, you know, Don, I wasn't a part of the company yet. You know, everybody knows my story. Everybody knows I had a a dark road, a dark time, as we all do. And, you know, I decided, you know, I was going to step away from professional wrestling for a while. And then Don Callis, you know, I go to a show with my wife at the time, or she still does. She was wrestling for Impact Wrestling. And I showed up, and Don Callis, he, he told me, he said, you know what, kid, we could really use your talents. We like you. I like you. I think you're good, kid. <laughs> I think you should. And I was like, you know what, man? Get this little nonsense out of my head. Let me let me come here to Impact. Let me do what I love. And they opened their arms for me. You know what I'm saying? And, and that was in 2018. And just to go through, you know, the road and just meet everybody that was an impact and reconnect with old faces that I didn't see for a while. That's just what just led me to being the face of impact. Just everybody just seeing them and they raising me up and lifting me up and, you know, myself doing the same and, you know, going out and performing to the best of our abilities, busting our ass, showing why we love mm-hmm. wrestling, you know, and that's just how we, you know, became. It's funny because there was uh, a time, a short period of time, right before AEW started, where I was talking to Scott and Don about maybe doing some shots for, for Impact, and we were trying to think, of well, who would you work with? And, and one of the names was, was, of course, Rich Swan. And I've always been a fan of, of, of yours since you came into WWE because you had some extra charisma and more of a personality than a lot of the guys did. So that was actually on the books at the time because Impact was making some moves to kind of bolster this roster and, and kind of reinvent itself, um, which, of course, it's done. That would have been awesome. But now with this forbidden door, you know, you never know. <laughs> you, go, you never baby. know what could happen. You never know what could happen after Sunday, too. I could be showing up. And- That's it. The double champion. <laughs> you never know, man. You never know. But you also combined the Impact title with the TNA title, right? That's so. To kind of explain how that how that all went down. Uh, you know, Moose had he basically had brought the TNA championship back from the grave, and he felt that once the Impact championship it had to be vacated due to certain situations. He felt that when he wasn't added into the Slammiversary main event, that he should have been in there. And so he just brought back this the TNA World Championship, and he carried it around for a whole entire year, and it wasn't official. 
and finally Moose, you know, he gets on Scott Demore's nerves so much and Scott Demore he he makes the championship official and Moose he has a couple of defenses and we can't have two world champions in one company. It just it just ain't right. It ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, myself and Moose we battled it out that sacrifice and you know, I came out on top and just to have that championship and combine them together, the TNA championship and the Impact Championship, it just it made it whole and so many great people have held that championship, Sting, AJ, like the list goes on and on, you know what I mean? And now to officially have my name attached to that title, it's it's awesome. All kind of, you know, gimmicks and, and storylines aside, how, how big is this for you to be the world champion? Because you mentioned, and we'll go into it, not only, the, the, you know, you went through some, some shit, but also early on in your life, you had a very kind of rough childhood. How is it for you now to kind of succeed in wrestling, A, after all these years of even just going to overseas and et cetera, et cetera. And here you are now a, a legit world champion in a legit company that has a huge history and a huge roster. I mean, that must be very gratifying for you. It's huge. It feels so good, you know, because like from a kid from Baltimore, Maryland, that I lost both my parents, you know, I battled adversity, you know, from a very young age. And like to have people tell me, hey, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to follow through with this dream of being a professional wrestler. Look at everybody. They're six, seven feet tall. They're 200 plus <laughs> pounds, but you're 150 pounds soaking wet. Right. You know what I'm saying? And now. And 20 of that is dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah. That's heavy, baby. <laughs> you know? But. Then to bust my ass and, you know, and have the support and to finally get here, it just, it feels good just to, you know, show the people and the doubters and the people that said that I could never make it. Like, it's just showing them, hey, you can put forth as much effort as you want to to the dreams that you want to follow and then maybe instead of hating on me maybe you might do what you want to do you know maybe you might not be sitting in a cubicle you know nine to five and then that's okay and that's you know if that's the people you know's life where it end up like that's okay but like i know i followed my dreams and i know that it just all is worth it you know Absolutely. And it's interesting because um, I, I had a guy uh, that's in the AEW. His name is Will Hobbs on, on, oh, on Talking to Jericho. Do you know Will? And Will's story is very, in a lot of ways, kind of similar to yours. Not that we've delved into, but kind of what I've heard of like this very rough upbringing that, and wrestling was kind of a, a savior for him. So tell us about kind of how, how wrestling kind of saved you in a lot of ways. Because you mentioned you did have a very rough childhood and were basically on your own from a very young age. So basically, uh, my mother, she was she had lupus and she had schizophrenia. She just wasn't well. My father, he was murdered. He was murdered. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. He was murdered. I was I was uh, 12 years old. Oh, man. And so he and my mother, they split up and he got into a relationship with another woman. And it was very, very bad, very toxic, uh, very alcohol fueled. And uh, it didn't end up bad. She murdered him. Jeez. And then 
after that, I just fell into a, like at the age of like 12, 13, wow. I just fell into like deep depression. You know what I'm saying? And then with my mother, she got sick. And by the time I turned 15, I came home from school one day with my best friend, Christian Gonzalez. I'll never forget it. We came home from school and I opened up the door and my mother, she had no clue who I was. Oh my God. Yeah. She like schizo schizophrenia. Yeah. Oh, that's the, like, it's so it's nuts. But so like, she had no clue who I was. So basically I had to be sent uh, to, it was like one of her uh, church friends had to live out there. No wrestling. They very reverent, very holy, you know, none of that. So I just went into like even more depression, even more depression. My mother, she comes back to uh, finally get back to her and she passes away. But before she passes away, her and her sister, who is her younger sister, my aunt, very close. And they found a professional wrestling training school that was down the street from where she lived. And at this time, when I finally came back home, I was very, I didn't understand mental illness, you know. I was, why'd you let me, you know, give me away kind of thing. Like, I was getting into uh, some of the craziest things at my age with kids that I shouldn't have, you know, dealing with drugs and stuff like that. But they knew that I loved wrestling so much, and my mom, she and her sister, they made the right, you know, moves to have me change into a technical school where I, you know, joined the criminal justice and graphic arts and design. Oh, wow. And then after that, they signed me up into the wrestling school. I worked my ass off to pay for it, the whole $3,000 or whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, you know the deal. Yeah. It's funny how wrestling schools have been $3,000 since I started. Yes. In 1990, it was $3,000. In 2021, it's $3,000 and everywhere in between. It's nuts, man. <laughs> but, yeah, I paid that money, paid that off, like, and it just never looked back. It's just always been wrestling, 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 putting everything I can into, you know, being wrestling. That's that's really interesting, Rich. So, so, and basically, what you're saying, if you didn't have wrestling as kind of an outlet, but but you also said you you went to school too. So you you even though you had all of these adversaries ad, uh, adversity, it's not like you you gave into it easily. You, you weren't just going on the streets and selling drugs. You wanted to to be better no matter what it was. That's inspiring. Yes, indeed. I, I wanted. I didn't want to be a product of my environment. Right. Uh, you know, just I didn't want to be somebody calling me. You know, anything that I knew that I wasn't, I wanted to, you know, have this image and, you know, just show people that, yo, you can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it. I know that's the cliche thing to say, but it's really it's true. true. It really right. is. Right. Let's talk about your training. But before we do, the countdown to Mother's Day is on. And if you're looking for a thoughtful gift for that special mom, grandma, aunt, uh, whatever in your life, it's the perfect thing for you. I've got it. It's a skylight frame, a touchscreen photo frame that you can email photos to, and they appear on the frame in seconds. I actually gave one of these to my dad for Christmas because you haven't been able to uh, see him too much during the pandemic. It's been all the way since the cruise last year. But now my family can just email new pics to the frame. My dad sees them almost instantly. 
All five of us send pictures right from our phones directly to the frame. It's very cool. The kids think it's fun, and my dad loves the surprise of new pictures. It's been a great way for him to see what the kids have been doing, and all the cats and dogs at my house are involved. It keeps them easily connected with us. Great and very simple to use. The setup takes less than 60 seconds, and you don't need to be a tech genius to figure it out. It looks like a real photo frame and has an awesome 10-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap to thank the person who sent the photo. And if you don't love your Skylight, they give you a full refund, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. You can preload the Skylight with photos before you give it to mom or grandma for Mother's Day. And then you can surprise them all year by emailing new photos to the Skylight anytime from anywhere. And right now you can get your $10 off the purchase of Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com. Use that promo code Jericho. Just go to skylightframe.com. Use the promo code Jericho. You get 10 bucks off the purchase of a Skylight Frame. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com. Use the code Jericho. Stay in touch with those that you love. All right, Rich. Who did you train with in Baltimore? Uh, so I started training uh, with Adam Flash uh, mm-hmm. from Maryland Championship Wrestling. Then uh, I moved to Pennsylvania and started training under a place called National Championship Wrestling uh, with a guy named Dirty Deeds, Darren Wise. And he was a character. He's awesome. Um, I, I don't <laughs> much, but he always would have these crazy shiny red boots come on rich let me tell you kid yeah these <laughs> these flips that you're doing yeah they're fun and all but that's not what's gonna get you <laughs> <laughs> but i was trained by him and adam flash and another guy that would help me out is uh ray alexander I know they're not, you know, big names or anything like that, but they really had the dedication and the heart, you know, and they really instilled that into me. But every area has those guys, kind of the local legends that everybody knows, you know, that, that didn't get to the, really the next level, but they're very influential in your career for sure. Yes, indeed. Like, they definitely, I think about them every day, like in every situation, like, because those guys literally, they, because with my father and, you know, I started training at 15, 16. Those guys were literally right. like father figures. Sure, you sure, know sure. What I'm saying? And uh, like they're taking me, you know, through the roads and showing me the books and showing me how it goes in wrestling. And, you know, they taught me how to be a man in certain ways as well. You know what I mean? Like That's, so, that's a good thing about yeah. wrestling. I mean, I started when I was 19 as well, is it gives you great life lessons. You know, not just lessons about how to wrestle, but how to just, like you said, be a man and how to go to another country and how to fend for yourself and all that sort of thing. Yeah, 100%. Where did you start out at, like, once you, once you finished school? Just in the Baltimore area? Yeah, once I, once I finished school, I was wrestling in the Baltimore area, Delaware, uh, Jersey, uh, Philadelphia at the ECW arena a company called combat zone wrestling and that's kind of what got me like that little launching pad just getting the opportunity to wrestle in such a famous building for our industry you know, <laughs> you know? Now explain that you now for people that don't know ecw arena like you said legendary uh well they want to call it an arena give a description of what the ecw arena really is rich the ecw <laughs> arena it is a place with 
kicked in doors, holes in walls. <laughs> and this is like, now it's pretty good. I, I went to it in like 2015. Now it kind of looks pretty great. Like pretty, oh, they've like, upgraded like it? arena. Yeah. yeah they, but like when I went in there in about, ooh, was it maybe 2008, 2009? Oh my God. Kicked in doors, pee <laughs> on the floor. Like just, cra- <laughs> just craziness. Just, it was not an arena. It's definitely a bingo. It's a room. Yeah. It's a, it, yeah, but like just that room had so much energy. Just like Philadelphia was nuts. So much history. Yeah. It's funny. I remember when I first went through the same thing too, where you're thinking, like, I remember the first time I went to Corican Hall. It's like, um, okay, that's like, that's a famous place. It's small, but it's, it yeah. is a hall and it's kind of cool. And it's the ECW Arena. I'm thinking, well, maybe it'd be like kind of a Corican Hall type thing. That's like, it's not like Corican Hall at all. It's not at all. <laughs> like they try to compare. Oh, here goes the crow's nest. It's almost like <laughs> when you're at Corican. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it ain't the same. I mean, but there's still like, well, awesome. it's history, like you said, to be there is yeah, just cool. One hundred percent. So, what was kind of your first big break of your career? I feel like my first big break definitely was with Dragon Gate USA, uh, run by Gabe Sapolsky. Ah, okay. And, and also, um, it was uh, you know worked with the Dragon Gate guys, Shima, and myself and Ricochet. We both. We hopped in there and we did, you know, our little flippity doo dies. <laughs> and Shima, he just, oh, oh, standing for fifty, oh, double moonsault, oh, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, snap, here we go. Right. And uh, we didn't even have passports at the time. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I like myself and Trevor. We didn't even have passports at the time, so we're texting each other back and forth. We're like, "Oh, bro, did you get your passport, man? We gotta get this. We gotta get this." And like, I, I remember mine came maybe about two days before my flight uh, to go to Japan. I was so my heart was beating so fast. Just got under so the wire, hard. huh? Yeah, just got under the wire and. I'll never forget my buddy was like, so what you going to do the first time you step off that flight in Japan? And I was just thinking negative, like, oh, man, it's not going to come in time. He's like, no, don't worry, man. What you going to do when you get to uh, Kobe? <laughs> man, and as soon as I got to Kobe, I was so relieved. But, well, let me ask you this. So your, your passport came so late. Did you have a work visa then? I think the statute of limitations has run out. You can, you can, you can announce it. So so I I I did have they got a uh, work oh, visa good. for it. They got they got a work visa for it. I didn't have one. My first time in Japan in ninety one, they just said, Well just say you're staying at this guy's house and they gave me like his name was Ricky <laughs> Fuji and I remember he lived in oh, Haneda awesome. or something like this. And I'm like, uh they didn't even really they didn't like I was tw- like twenty years old. I wouldn't have been able to scam my way in there if you know, I wouldn't know what to do. I was just th- thankful I got some lazy guy like, where are you staying? I'm here, this place. Okay, yeah. go ahead. And you're like, man. <laughs> man, I feel it just it, then and now. It just doesn't work. That's right. I've known a couple of buddies that have, you know, no names, but that tried to go over. Oh, I'm visiting, you know, I want to go to the beach and do this and do that. I'm learning the language. No, oh, that man. shit. As soon as, pull, as soon as they pull that damn promo picture out, bud, you're done. Yeah. You're, you're, you're. <laughs> so, what were some of the biggest culture shock things for you when you went to Japan the first time? Because it is a different world for sure. Man, it just how it was just cleaner. 
just people were nicer. Uh, I don't know, just just so much. It was a culture built on so much respect. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I love America. I love Canada. I love England. I love, but Japan, it was just so, it, I, I love the culture. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was something, because just coming from Baltimore, you know what I'm saying, where, you know, and I love my city, but at the same time, it's one of the roughest cities in the right. world. You know what I'm saying? And just coming from that to seeing how, you know, nice and respectful everybody was. And, and for instance, I left a wallet over there that had everything in it. My social security card, cards, everything. My pay from the whole tour. And I left that at a restaurant. Mm. And like as soon as I figured, you know, out where, you know, I'd left it, I went back there the next day and as soon as I walked in, the owner, you know, gives me the wallet. Oh that's you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm you know, thank you. And I'm like, I don't even feel like I have to check this, but I went and you know, it he said it was sitting there all day basically. Uh, Shingo told me, but like, and he picked it up at that night, and I'm like, man, I wonder if anything's missing, and there was nothing missing. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, if that was in, you know, Baltimore or York, Pennsylvania, or everything's gone, yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't blame that person either because it's my own idiot, you know. Yeah. Unless at the very, at the very, if the person was nice, they might like just. You know, s- drop the the empty wallet in the mailbox to get your you know social security card back. But if you had yeah. fifty bucks in there, it's gone, man. No, it's all yeah. gone. It's all gone. And that right there, just that was like wow. Yeah, man. So when you worked in Japan, um, obviously you have a very high flying style, like you mentioned. Were you always naturally athletic and in, 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 in a gymnast, a gymnast, or was it just something you just? tried and did yeah it's like i was as a young kid i was a fan of ray mysterio mm. you know uh the power rangers <laughs> that as well so i kind of mixed those two like when i was a, a kid like like ray to me was like a power ranger that came to life and it's like wrestling is so it's such a you know unique sport because you have these characters and it's like you can really touch out and feel and believe and really attach yourself to this. Right. And I'm like, man, all right, I think I could see this guy doing all this crazy stuff. I think I could do it. So I would set up the pillows in, in my, you know, second floor apartment and, <laughs> and just um, five, six years old, just doing backflips off God. the couch, you know, onto the, the you know, floor and everything and my mom's just losing her mind what are you doing (laughs) and she's losing her mind like oh you're gonna get hurt but self-taught you know well that's the thing too because you're 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 smaller in stature quote-unquote so when you see a guy like ray mysterio was that because you have the inspiration of wrestling but the inspiration of ray in wrestling did that make it was was there other guys that kind of made you really think like i can do this or was ray the guy Ray was definitely the guy who, like, Bret Hart was the guy who, like, that was the first, like, professional wrestler I ever saw. Saw him coming out with the jacket Mm -hmm. and the freaking sparklers and stuff. And 
like this awesome World Wrestling Federation winged eagle title yeah. coming out, <laughs> and being badass and everything. And then I'm like, all right, you know. And then just seeing Ray, like once I discovered WCW, you know, I was like, okay, I can, I feel like I can I can do this. He's small. He's like he's like me. And then as a kid, you know, and I'm saying, you look at these guys, like one, two, three kids, like yeah. Xbox. Like you think, oh, you hear he's a small guy, and you know, oh, they called him the kid because you know he's relatable and blah 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 to the kids. Bro, he's no small guy at all. He's got to be. I think he's taller than I am. I think he's about six feet tall. At <laughs> yeah, the time, he's... he was small for the for that era, but he's not a small guy at all. Yeah, not at all. But Ray, definitely, you see him, and it's like I feel like I can do it. You know. Did you always, uh, in the back of your head, want to end up in WWE? Definitely. I always, like, especially once once that was the final place to go in, like, 2002. Right. And, and, you know, like, at that time, I, you know, knew I want to be a wrestler. That was the only place that you could go if you want to be, you know, a star or want to, you know, anything like that. So that was definitely always in my head. That was always where I wanted to be. So kind of tell us the journey and how you got there, because you did end up in WWE. Yes. Uh, well, after, you know, working in Japan a lot. Because this was years, too. You went, you, this is like eight, nine, ten years of pretty much, right, of you being on the road and around the world and everything. Yes, indeed. It's just grinding and, you know, just doing tours of Japan and England and Ireland and just grinding, just doing everything I got to do, you know complaints wrestling owes us nothing how, how was how was your experiences in england and ireland were you doing kind of the holiday camps and all that sort of stuff um i didn't get to do any of the brian dixon camps but i've heard a lot about them i got to meet them and everything but my experiences there they were awesome it was just a fun time learning you know a little bit of how they you know structure matches and you know their style and how so intimate the crowd is with you know especially the promotion i was with it was wxw the crowds are just so you know into it i mean and not that any other crowds aren't but like it's just they make up their songs and their chants and it's just a different feeling it was a fun time how would you guys travel around like would you go over there for tours sort of thing yeah so like i i would when i would uh come back from japan I would always make sure I would book a two-week tour with England and a two-week tour with uh, Germany. And so I would do the full month over there and uh, then just come back home to the States for about two days and then go back to Japan for three months. But those, like every time I, I would go over there to the UK, like for, I'd usually go for about a month, a month and a half. I feel like the longest I've ever stayed there was two months. A little bit more manageable than Japan in a lot of ways, I would say. Oh, yeah, 100%, because there's no language barrier. You know, you can just get on with everybody, and then you start picking up their slang and their terms. <laughs> and, you know, then you just start becoming cool with everybody. 
So when you, I mean, obviously you're you're traveling in vans. Do you hitch a ride with somebody when you're there, or how does that go? Yeah, they they usually like have us in like a van or have somebody, one of the students, uh, just you know showing us around, and they'd have us stay at the promoter's house, which was cool. His name was Steve Alt, and uh, man, uh, or Ben Alt, I apologize, and uh, that was awesome. That was for his promotion, Southside Wrestling, and he would just show us all the best time, take us out afterwards, just show us around uh, uh, England, around his part of town. I forget. I want to say it was Nottingham. Nottingham was the place, yeah. Yeah, but I, I want to say it's like Nottingham Ridge or Norwich? something like <laughs> Norwich. Norwich. It is there you Norwich. Go. That's a big wrestling yeah. That's where Paige is from. That's where Kip Sabian is from. Yeah, that's kind of a big area there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Let's get to how you ended up in WWE, uh, Rich, and we'll do that after I share a little tip for anyone looking to build their teams. I'm talking to all you small business owners who need to find good people to help you grow your business. It's important to hire the right people, and that's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster, and you only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, schedule, and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Told you it was fast and easy. And with tools like Indeed Instant Match, where you get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and the Indeed Skills Test, you can reduce your hiring time by 27%. You can choose over 130 skills tests, or you can add your own then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for the applications that meet them. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Jericho. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Jericho. Once again, Indeed.com slash Jericho. The offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Mr. Swan, let's hear how you ended up in WWE. Yeah, I was wrestling with uh, Evolve and Dragon Gate, and a rapper by the name of Wale. Mm, of course, he had saw a match between myself and uh, Uha Nation, who goes by Apollo Cruz now, Ricochet, and another wrestler that goes by AR Fox, who's super talented, one of the greatest I've ever seen, one of the best high flyers I've ever seen. And Wale, he, you know, puts out a tweet. Now, this was in 2014. Puts out a tweet. So Twitter's, like, just starting to get hot. Yeah. It's just starting to get that weight. So here goes this famous rapper, Wale, and he puts this out. He puts this over. Hey, these are the guys you need to look at. And he puts myself and, you know, Ricochet and Uha out there and, Next thing I know, I'm getting a, a call from Canyon Seaman. Hmm. And I see the 203 number. And at this time, I had no clue who you know he was or anything like that. And apparently, Wale had spoken with Mark Henry. And Mark Henry had saw my work through Wale. And he, he liked it. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, he put in, you know, a word and helped me out. And they saw my talents, and I'm getting this call, and I'm seeing the 203 number, and I'm like, oh, all right, so that's Connecticut. 
there's no way this is real. <laughs> I pick it up and he's like, Hey, are you Richard Swan? Nice to talk to you, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh man, this can't be real. He's like, Hey, we got a tryout set up for you. And uh, next thing I know, I get this tryout at the beginning of 2015. And man, it was probably one of the toughest things I've ever gone through. Like at that point, you know, like physically in my life, that tryout just is so exhausting. They push you to the limit. You know, is, is that's like the tryouts where you're doing all the drills and all that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like I went in there and I was doing my drills that I do in Japan at Dragon Gate and just doing everything I can. But, you know, I'm not the biggest guy in the world and I'm you know i'm not gonna lie i'm not the strongest weightlifter in the world but man when it came time to do the weightlifting and seeing all the bodybuilders and the the athletes and all these guys you know what i'm saying that are jacked to the gills i'm like whoa how am i gonna make this so but i went in there pushing 100 percent and but still they told me no oh really yeah yeah they told me no they said hey you know, Rich, you know, your time at this tryout, you know, it's you've earned your spot here was the words. And at that point, when I heard that, I was like, oh, snap, I'm about to get signed. Yes. 22. Oh, snap, I'm pumped. But we unfortunately, just because of the size and stature, you know, we can't hire you and your age. What was your age? How old are you? How old are you? I'm 30 now. I was 20. I was 23. What do you mean? You were too young or too old? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I guess too young at that time. Okay. Hey, man. And, you know. Whatever. Right on. I just took that and just kept going and kept going. And people were there and kept pushing me. And I didn't let that deter me to get where I wanted to be. And next thing I knew, I got another call and another email. And they signed me to WWE. So what was it that made made them finally sign you, do you think? You know, I feel there were a lot of other promotions getting hot at the time, like Lucha Underground. Ah, yeah. Things like that. And I know that they were possibly, at that time, they were thinking about starting the Cruiserweight division back again. So I think that must have been something that they looked at and they said, hey, maybe we could use him for this down the road and they signed me to NXT. So how long were you in NXT before before you started doing the 205 Live? Um, I was in NXT for maybe a year and a half mm. before they you know, did the Cruiserweight Classic and uh, from the right. NXT yeah, yeah, and so from getting out of uh, NXT into the Cruiserweight Classics, once they did the draft thing or the Shane and Stephanie, they took control of Raw and SmackDown, which one or whatever, and uh, they switched or they gave the people who were like the last sixteen uh, guys that were in the Cruiserweight Classic end up on two five live as the new Cruiserweight division. So the Cruiserweight Classic was kind of like a, like a WWE version of the Super J Cup, correct? Yes, 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 indeed. And it was awesome. I hope they do it again. You know, it was something that, you know, it gave a lot of, like, 
for the first time, fans got to see a Zack Sabre Jr., who I think is oh, wow. one of the greatest. I forgot that Zack was it. Wasn't Kota in that too? Yeah, Kota Bushi. That was the first time, you know, WWE fans m- might have been, you know, exposed to a Kota Bushi. I think it was definitely something good, you know. So when when 205 Live started, I don't know if, I'm not sure if we ever spoke about this, but I, I was saying like it was hard at first because they just had like 16 guys all come in at once. And it's hard to do that for people to understand who's who and for individual personalities to stand out and all that sort of stuff. So how was that when you guys kind of all debuted at the same time? At the time, it was, oh, man, I'm about to be debuting. But, you know, but and then as you're in it and looking back in through it, it's like, man, there's so many people not only in, you know, WWE, but in this new brand that, you know, we're about to try to push to this massive audience. There's so much content. There's so much going on. Everybody that's being put out is just going to get lost in the shuffle and nobody's going to understand who and what they are because there's so much. I thought it was great, you know, and, you know, to be in it. But at the time, or looking at it now, it's just, man, I don't, I don't know how much of a good idea that was just because, uh, you know, you got so many people and it's hard to, how, how can you connect? To, right. It's, it's just crazy. But you did stand out a bit. So what, what did you do to try and stand out from, from the pack? Uh, I just tried to show my personality, yeah. show my character, show, you know, who I am as a person, I tried to turn that up, you know, dialed up over, you know, through the limits. And uh, I just tried to connect to the people. And uh, I feel like I was successful at that. Yeah, because like I said, to me, the one thing that always stood out was your ring entrance. Like I remember, oh, there's Rich Swan. I can't, I, I don't, quite honestly, I mean, that was five years ago. Might as well have been 50 years ago when you do this all the time. I don't remember really any of your matches, but I remember like, oh, Rich Swan, I like him. He's good because I think, because everybody was good. But how do you discern yourself from everybody else? And that was kind of your ring entrance and your personality that's shown when you kind of came through the curtain. Definitely. And that's that's the one thing that I was always taught, you know, from the very beginning is your very first impression to the people is your entrance. Right. So, you know, at least people will remember that entrance and at least people will remember that energy. And I carried that with me. And, you know, I just wanted to, you know, make the best of that opportunity, you know, because you never, you never know when you're going to get that opportunity again. So I went out there and I just, and I, I still, I just go out there and do that. The same entrance, same time, you know, wrapped a car up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> is that you know? something you just, did you discuss that with, uh, with kind of the production people at WWE? Here's what I'd kind of like to do. Or, or how did that come about? No, I just, I just did it. I just went out there. But like you said, like, you know, did, did they say, did, did you have any choice what kind of ring music you would have or anything like that? So, so uh, I got a call from NXT and William Regal. He had knew that I'd used all night long in the independence. Lionel Richie? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lionel Richie, baby. And uh, I'd use that. And so he called me. He said, hey, would you like us to make something that sounds similar? So 
um, oh, of course, you know, but I don't care what they would have made, you know what I'm saying? I would have tried to make it work, but, you know, I appreciated that. They made the Can You Handle This song. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Oh, now give it to me. Everybody know my name. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. I can work with this. All right. And I just take that song and I just go bananas with it. And Triple H, he was just like, as I, you know, came out to it in the rehearsals for the first time, and I used the energy and the entrance that I had used in Dragon Gate and everything and my whole career, and he just said, all right, do it, keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that. And i do it over and over and just thought. Who were some of the best guys there? Because we mentioned there were so many guys that came out. Who were the guys you kind of thought were the, the best ones, maybe a little underrated, that sort of thing? Definitely Noem Dar. Mm, wow. Forgot about him. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was really good, and I had a, a lot of great matches I felt with him. Lince Dorado, uh, for sure. Grand Metallic. Aria Davari, I think, is very well, very good, always in great shape, and just a great wrestler uh, all around. Just those guys in general, like, especially Lince Dorado, uh, who I feel that, you know, at that time, uh, he didn't get the opportunities, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, just because it was just so many people right. that was, and you had Enzo who had just came in. They they added Callisto from the main roster and put him on the two hundred five live. And then you had the great physique and the, the man that could do anything with Neville, who goes by Pac now for you know and. It was just so many people. And then you have, you know, the guys that are waiting in the wings, just, you know, waiting for that opportunity. I forgot that Pac was there. And actually, Enzo was was I, it was my idea to have him go there because I was like, he's not doing anything on the main roster. He's a smaller guy. Have him go to 205 Live with his personality. And he was super over. It'll take more eyeballs onto this show and give some uh, people um, a hook to watch it. 100% and it, and it definitely it definitely did once Enzo had came on to 205 Live it gave a very huge spike in numbers because Enzo you know whether people like him or not he's very entertaining sure. and he, he can grab the attention of people like that who did you have your best matches with there at 205 Live definitely Pac Pac of course yeah definitely Pac like he's the greatest, and like us, me and him, we spent time together at Japan. Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate, yes. And uh, just when they put us together, he had broke his ankle. Oh, yeah, with me. Yeah, yeah. He broke his ankle, and when I got signed, he was just starting to uh, be about to be able to be cleared. So they had asked me to go in and work with him, and I think that was seen, and. From there, me joined the 205 Live roster, and myself, we got together and we worked, and we had that program, and we would do the house shows, and got to go on tour to Germany and Scotland and all that. Man, it was just amazing. It was just, it was just like waking up and getting out of bed and drinking this cup of coffee. So when you first went to Impact from WWE, what were some of the biggest uh, changes and differences for you? Obviously, two different sizes of companies, but what was the backstage like? What was the kind of the protocol different there? Definitely, it was more at ease. And not that 
I felt like I was walking on eggshells at the WWE because my time there was, I didn't have any problems. I was fine. But definitely the difference between the two companies, you can feel that there is not as much pressure that's put onto your shoulders and not like, because this job, this job, it, it, it's meant for that. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to have pressure. You're supposed to feel it, but unnecessary things, you know what I'm saying? Like things are, you know, just planned out more. And it's just because I feel like over there, it's more of a machine here. It's more intimate, mm -hmm. more of a family style, like style based. Uh, I feel like it's, it's not brought from person to person to person. For sure. It's not as regimented and this has to be approved and that has to be approved. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It goes through two people and they're making the decision and, you know, we work and talk through things and, you know, we come to the a decision and an agreement and we do it. Do you get more promo time in impact? Oh yes, indeed. You get more time to talk and it's not somebody else's words. Mm. They, they give you the guidelines. They tell you, hey, this is where we want to go. And you have free reign to speak in w within those guidelines. And, you know, it's not like something that's written to the max and you have to remember every single line. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a place where they give you the freedom to be a professional wrestler. Mm -hmm. To be creative. To be a character. Yeah, to be creative, to speak on feels, to, right. to talk about, you know, things how you would. When you, another thing I was going to ask is now that you're the heavyweight champion, obviously you mentioned you started, you know, in, in WWE, you're 205 Live and you're, you know, Rey Mysterio influenced. Did you switch your style at all when you're working kind of with the heavyweight title? Definitely did. Uh, I know and the heavyweight wrestling is more about the long game. It's more about the story and all of wrestling is about story, but I definitely slowed down my style. Whereas though, when you're in a cruiserweight or X division, junior heavyweights type setting, it's about that fast paced action. It's about that flash and pizzazz and how can you, you know, rock the crowd this way with the heavyweight championship and being, you know, put in that position, I definitely want to show that I can do a different style and a slower pace and pick it up when it needs to be picked up and just, you know, bring people through that roller coaster ride that you need to be brought through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, that is a great point. I'm glad that you that you noticed that. Something that I noticed too. That it, it's how has it been wrestling with no people? after years and years of wrestling in front of everybody because because uh impact you still don't even have small crowds nope. there's still nobody there nothing at all it's crazy it feels like you're in an intense train right. right 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 you know? yeah it's like you have to imagine that there's people out there saying this is awesome <laughs> blah 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 clapping like <laughs> You really have to. You th that's where the love and the dedication to this sport comes in, to this business comes in. Because like, yeah, you can stretch, you can warm up, and all that. But when you have those people, that's what gives that extra shot of adrenaline. That's what gives right. gives you that that hype. You know, makes you hype, gives you that high tension. Sure. You know, when when you when you go out there and there's nobody, you walk through that curtain and you're thinking there's about to be this. 
how are you gonna boo? <laughs> and it's just the yeah. buzzing, <laughs> the buzzing, yeah, yeah, the fan, yeah. the fan. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, especially for you, because we talked about the big thing that you did in WWE was your ring entrance and the energy and the reaction. It, it's it, everything, right? It's everything, and I, I, I reach for those people, I beg for those people. You know what I'm saying? That they're not there. Have you wrestled any indies at all or anything like that? Have you been in front of people at all over the last year in any way, shape, or form? I just did my first independence last week. Uh, um, I got to wrestle two oh, cold wow. Scorpio for the very first time. Uh, yeah, man, he, he can go. That's man. awesome. He He's got a ring entrance kind of like yours. He was a dancing guy. Yeah, he yeah. say He's looking for his change. Where's my change? <laughs> hey, hey, no, yeah, man, that's where I got it. That's where I got it from, man. From right too on. Cold. But there was people there. It was fun. That's cool. There were people there. It was an outside setting, outside in Tampa, and uh, that was something I haven't done in a while as well. Because you know, after after I broke my leg and my back and everything, I came back to the empty arena setting. So this was my first in almost uh, two years, my first match. Oh, wow. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I'm like, man, this is crazy. It's against two cold. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So that was fun. That was fun. So as we get ready for Rebellion this week, and you mentioned earlier kind of never actually working with Kenny, how do you prepare for a match this big? And once again, there won't be a crowd there, but there will be a big buy rate i'm sure of people watching i know i will be how do you kind of get mentally ready for this you know i just you know i play a lot of music clear my mm-hmm. mind and i've just been working out and just watching a lot of a lot of tape a lot of matches of his a lot of matches of myself a lot of old matches from you know like nwa and like just just going back and but really mainly just getting my cardio right and just getting myself, you know, in shape because I just want to put on the biggest, you know, the best performance that I can, you know, and just end out with this guy. Because, you know, it's almost like, I don't know what the proper word is, you're not an underdog, but everyone knows kind of Kenny Omega and the legend of Kenny Omega. And not a lot of people know the legend of Rich Swan. So not that you have to prove anything, but this is a huge stage and worldwide platform to really hammer home you know who rich swan is and i i do feel like i'm gotcha because you know every everybody everybody does know who kenny omega is and everybody knows what he can do and you know just being in this business and the time that i've spent and the hard work that i've put in and you know overcoming possible retirement for real like literally like i just can't wait to show that i can be on that level as well Uh, and just to have that opportunity you know with somebody the stature and level of kenny it is awesome last two questions for you You mentioned a few times that you had a really bad injury what exactly was it something that happened in the ring or was yes sir yes sir what happened somebody by the name of dave chris they were on the top rope uh, and I was bent over and he jumped off and he did a senton and as he came down on my back as I'm standing up my leg 
kind of. Have you ever seen the Psycho Sid? Oh, you seen dude. The Psycho Sid yes. Yeah. So inside of my kickback. My oh, my gosh. Kinda, it was protruding. It was almost out the skin. Mm. But so he does that, jumps on my back. My leg turns all the way around. I have to flip mm. it back. My fibula is broken. My L5 and L6 had fractures. Um, that was about it. And, yeah, like, the doctor was like, look, you might not walk the same again, let alone wrestle again. And so I got the surgery. They put, what was it, three screws on each side, or not screws, buttons on each side that are held with uh, three iron rods. Uh, then I have a metal plate in my foot. They didn't do anything with the fib. They just let that heal and my back healed. So how long were you out for? I was out for about seven months. Gotcha. So once again, you do the same thing you've always done in your life and just really kind of put your mind to getting over this adversity. And and now here you are back as the world champion, getting ready for this huge match. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. They told me it it should have been like 10 months to a year. Forget that. I can't sit at home like that. I can't do it. I can't do it. I had the same thing. I broke my arm in 94. They said, you're out for 16 weeks. I'm like, dude, I'm an independent wrestler. I got no money. <laughs> yeah, I, need I ate a bunch of calcium pills and came back in seven weeks. And that yes, was it. <laughs> that's what's up. That's what's up. I need this. Last question for you, Rich. What's your favorite match that you've ever had? If, if one or two of them stand out in your mind. Oh, man, my favorite match probably would have to be against Sammy Callahan. Mm. at the ECW arena. We were both very young in our careers and it was with Combat Zone Wrestling. It was just everything. Like, the crowd was packed. Like, for that building, the the building was packed. It was supposed to be the last uh, building show for the ECW arena. Like, we just had everything, like, in line. It was Definitely, and he's one of my best friends. Uh, he helped me out a lot uh, when we were younger as well. But like, just to have that match is probably one of my favorite matches. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm sure the one that you're going to have on Sunday is going to be another of your favorite matches, and I'm excited to see it. Rich Swan and Kenny Omega. It's revolutionary, man. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great night for sure. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I can't wait. I'm excited. All right, <laughs> Rich Swan. Thank you, brother. Like I said, it's awesome talking to you, and I look forward to seeing uh, seeing what you're going to do this weekend. Hey, thank you for having me on. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen.